When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Matt Lenehan for Boxing Social in association with William Hill and Empire Fight Store. Always a pleasure to be joined by Dan Raphael from the States. Dan, before we start, how are we? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me today. Not a problem, not a problem at all. Look, I think it's only right that we start off with the thing that sort of dominated conversation, I would say, over the past week, Shakur Stevenson, mm-hmm. uh, in a fight that when it was talked about, I think everyone was licking the lips saying, another good fight for boxing. Seems like it will be a, an interesting matchup. Um, now it's not happening. Both fighters have come out and made comment, mm-hmm. made one comment to my knowledge so far saying, um, I ain't duck shit, they put on Twitter. Shakur Stevenson has fired back and just said the media is sick making up rumours to protect fighters' image. That man didn't pull out to fight nobody else. They offered him the most money he could ever make in his entire career and he turned it down. Um, If that's not a duck, I don't know what is. I'm also seeing rumours online circulate in relation to a potential Javante Davis clash. So from your end, what seems to have happened here? Well... I mean, if he if, if Frank Martin does wind up getting a fight with Gervonta Davis, you know, good for him. I mean, obviously, if you have the opportunity to fight Gervonta Davis, two things. One, it's a more winnable fight, even if he's going to be the underdog in both fights, in my opinion. And number two, you're going to probably make more money fighting Tank Davis than you would be fighting against Shakur Stevenson. And I guess three, not that this is Frank Martin's issue, but from his handler's issue, you know, it keeps it within the PBC fold. So that's they don't have to go outside uh, their universe, if you will. The, the, the issue there is this. Uh, and, and again, until Frank comes out and speaks more freely about what happened, we don't really know exactly. So you can only say what, what you do know to be factual. Nobody has disputed the fact that Top Rank, the promoter for Shakur Stevenson, made a deal with the Frank Martin side, spearheaded by the TGB Promotions president, Tom Brown, who does all the boxing events for PBC. And even if technically speaking, Man Down Promotions, which is Errol Spence's company, is the actual official promoter of Frank Martin. The business of that was being done by Tom Brown, and they made a deal with Top Rank and shook hands to the extent that they sent a contract over. No issues. And, and listen, if you know Tom Brown, I've known Tom 
like over almost 25 years. I mean, he's one of the guys in the business where if he says, you know, we have a deal, like they have a deal, like he doesn't renege on his, on his promises and, and do funny things. And obviously he's not saying we have a deal at the top rank unless he knows that his side is in order. In other words, he's not saying, okay, unless Heyman has signed off on it, unless, uh, you know, the others that are involved. So the bottom line is top rank made its agreement with Shakur Stevenson. Uh, you would have thought that they would have made their deal with uh, Frank Martin. They made a deal for the total package of what they were going to pay to the to the Frank Martin side, and they were ready to do the fight. They, and to the extent, by the way, that both sides had to notify the WBC that they were canceling the purse. But it wasn't like Top Rank just called up the BC and said, hey, we have a deal. It takes both sides to inform the sanctioning body that they've made an agreement. So that's exactly what happened. It was Tuesday, uh, and it was a few hours prior to the time the Top Rank and, and TGB we were set to go to a purse bid where they made the deal and the purse bid got canceled. And then suddenly, uh, you know, a few days later, uh, Frank Martin's out of the fight. So the only thing you can draw from that, again, until we hear from Frank, we don't know for sure, is that things were copacetic between the top rank and the Frank Martin side. Things were fine between top rank and their boxer, Shakur Stevenson. And so it seems as though that the issue uh, was something between Frank and his people. In other words, here's the pot of money they're paying our side. How are we going to cut that money up? And I was told by somebody on Frank's side, specifically, I asked, well, what the heck happened? And I was told in a text message, one word, money, which is always what happens in these cases. And so therefore, uh, it's not happening. So I only would say this, don't, don't make a deal and make your side look foolish by backing out after they've gone to the extent to make a deal. And called the uh, uh, WBC to cancel the purse bid because all you do is waste everybody's time and get everybody mad at you. You know, if he had a better opportunity to go fight Tank Davis, you know, just say so and like go with it and make your money and have your bigger fight. I don't think anybody would begrudge Frank for that, right? I mean, but Shakur will fight still in this fall. He'll still fight for the vacant WBC lightweight title and they will go down the ratings and find the next leading available guy. Right now, I guess they're talking to Edwin De Los Santos. Uh, the next fighter after him in the list is... Uh, a fighter that they're involved with, which is a uh, Jermaine Ortiz. And, uh, you know, they'll go on until they find somebody willing to get in the ring with Shakur. There's a couple of points um, to pick up on this. I think from Frank Martin's side, I don't think anyone can begrudge, especially in the low weight divisions, anyone for a Javonte Davis, Javonte Davis clash or potential clash purely out of the fact that he's the paper, he's the pay-per-view attraction over there in the lower weights. Um <clears throat> Javante's current situation. There's been a, a huge rumor mill for a long time about an Isak Cruz rematch. Um, what do you can you do? You consider a Frank Martin fight likely? You know, from your end, or do you think they'll go down the route of Isak Cruz to I don't know get Javante back in the swing of things because he has he has had that legal situation where he just come out of. Yeah, I mean he's been out of jail now for a bit, and so you know presumably you know getting his life back together and um. Presumably getting back in, in shape, you know, or working on whatever his next fight's going to be. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's enjoying himself. You know, it's not like uh, Tank and I talk on a daily basis or anything like that. Uh, but you, you got to figure that he's going to fight uh, again soon, you know, end of this year at the latest early next year. He already has had two fights this year, which by today's boxing standards is actually pretty busy because he fought in January. And then shortly thereafter, he had the big fight against Ryan Garcia. But it would make sense that he's available to fight this fall, and that would so, certainly be whoever he fights uh, a moneymaker. It's it's always seemed to me that for the longest time, it's been Pitbull Cruz that's been the, the likely guy to get that rematch, and for a couple of reasons. One, 
Uh, the first fight did pretty good business. Number two, it was a very good fight. And number three, there was a lot of people thought that Cruz was the winner. And so there's something that you can sell. Now, no knock on Frank Martin whatsoever. But Frank, he's an excellent young contender, but he's not exactly uh, a popular, well-known attraction. It's not, uh, just ha he hasn't had that opportunity yet. It's not saying that he can't become that. Yeah. He's had, in my, uh, to my recollection, he's been in the main event of a fight twice, once against Michelle, uh, Michelle Rivera and once against uh, Hardatunian, which was the fight earlier this year. Um, does that put him in a, in, a, in a fight with Tank Davis that could do bigger business than a Pitbull Cruz fight? I doubt that, partly because Pitbull Cruz also has the benefit of having a popular fan base of Mexican fans that will, that will uh, turn out for him. So if you're doing it strictly on the money, it would seem as though the, the more likely scenario for Tank would be a, uh, a rematch with, with Cruz. But from a competitive standpoint, I don't think you can go wrong with either fight. I mean, Cruz has got his his positives and his negatives, and so does Frank. They're both, you know, put it like this: they're both fights that I would uh, be happy to watch. Yeah, I'm going to say either or for me. I think we've already seen Pitbull Cruz. It was an exciting fight. I think well, the, the real fight that you want to see is Tank Davis against Shakur. I mean, or 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 Tank Davis against Devin Haney, or you know, whatever, or Lomachenko, or whoever. But they're not happening. I know. I feel like when we talk about them fights, they almost seem like fantasy fights. All the fights that if I could make right now, I would just chuck them all in a bowl and say, right, one versus one, other versus the other, winner fight the winners, losers fight the losers, and just round and round we go again. But boxing, and sadly, doesn't work like that. Or if it did, everyone would be a lot happier. But um, Shakur Stevenson, we, um, it leaves him now, obviously, in this position where they're going to have to go down the rankings. Is he going to find it difficult in the next couple of years getting these fights? with the big names, unless he is literally knocking on the door, nowhere to go, they have to fight them all, vacate belts. Is he going to keep running into running into problems, do you think? Yeah, he probably is. And the reason is because he's supremely talented. He's a pound-for-pound -pound level talent. And he's still dangerous enough where, even though you, like Frank Martin, could make his biggest payday against Shakur, um, Anybody that's going to fight him at this point is making their biggest payday, most likely, unless you're Tank Davis or, or something like that. But I mean, of the of the non superstar opponents, if you're fighting Shakur, you're making your biggest money. So he's, but is is it worth it to 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 give up your record or to to take an embarrassing loss? I didn't, I don't quite understand uh, why you wouldn't want to fight the guy because you're going to get the opportunity to fight for a very coveted title in the WBC lightweight belt. You're going to make your highest payday. And if you should lose to Shakur Stevenson, you're going to go in as the underdog, so that's expected. So most people, you know, unless he got destroyed in like one or two rounds, most people aren't going to hold that against you. I use the, the extreme example going back several years. Did it harm Canelo Alvarez that at age 21, 22, whatever, he decided that he would take the fight against Floyd Mayweather? He got outclassed. He lost a lopsided, or it was actually not a lopsided decision on the cards because of one idiot judge. But the point was, it was yeah. he, got, he got outclassed in the fight. Um, and it, in, in no way, in shape or form, did it in, in any way injure or damage the career of Canelo Alvarez. He became a huge star that helped propel him to massive stardom. He made a $10 million payday, and it was, at that time, the biggest grossing fight in the history of boxing. And he's gone on to super, super stardom. And if you can look back on your career and say, yeah, as a young kid, I had a loss against the great Floyd Mayweather. That doesn't really harm you in any fashion. I feel like that's a similar scenario. If some of these contenders and, and other champions, etc., were to step into the ring against Shakur Stevenson, if you lose to him, okay, you lost to one of the best guys in the business. You know, the premier, uh, the, one of the premier fighters in the whole sport. So, 
That's the decision they're going to have to make. Now, people like to say, well, he's not a draw. He's never done pay-per-view. Well, okay, fair enough. He's not done pay-per-view. That will come in the future, I believe. You can say he's not a draw. That's not really being genuine because if you go and you put a fight in his hometown in Newark, New Jersey, at the Prudential Center, a first-class major league-level arena, you know, he's drawn 10,000-plus people for his fight. So he is a, uh, becoming a draw. And by the way, I was there in Las Vegas on the night that he fought Oscar Valdez, a, a rare champion at the time that had the balls to step up and fight him and uh, took a loss and, you know, hasn't ruined his career. Uh, but they drew a nice crowd for that fight also. That was a pretty big deal. So most guys won't fight Shakur. I tip my hat to Oscar Valdez, who put his championship on the line and his undefeated record and, and is willing to fight the guy. When you look at Shakur Stevenson and you've seen pretty much all the greats down the years, you're flying Mayweather's, Manny Pacquiao's. Do you get that feeling from this kid that he could be pound for pound, you know, you know, I know I speak to some people right now and they say he's the best right now. But do you think he, he's one of these who could go down in the history of the sport if his career trajectory carries on as it is special time? Uh, yeah, 100%. I mean, you never can say never. We, there's been there's been great fighters that have come along and their their prime has been short and, and, and things happen, whether it's injuries or, you know, outside of the ring issues or, uh, you know, any number of factors. Uh, if Shakur Stevenson that I see and have been watching since he turned professional, can keep himself together. Don't get in trouble. I mean, he's had a sm couple of small scrapes early in his career, but you know he's been well behaved and not getting in trouble in recent times. If he can keep that trajectory and keep boxing the way he does, and keep putting the hard work, and keep that defense sound the way he has, and you know stay hungry, there's absolutely no reason why he can't be a, a Hall of Famer and one of the greats that we've seen of this time. There's no doubt. I mean, he's got the amateur pedigree. He was an Olympic medalist. He has won already in a in a not a very long career thus far. World championships uh, already in uh, two weight divisions and you know one, uh, featherweight and uh, junior lightweight, unified titles at junior lightweight, two of them anyway when he beat Valdez and now he's at lightweight and it's just a matter of it's not if he wins a lightweight title in my mind it's just when he's going to win it it's when is he going to get the opportunity so you know Devin Haney uh, for his reasons he's been at lightweight forever he decided I'm going to go make my opportunity and try to fight for a title at 140 so that title became vacant. Uh, Shakur had won the, the eliminator uh, by the WBC. And so now they're looking for an opponent. And like I said, it's not it's not if he wins the WBC title. It's just when he wins the title. And, and I, don't, I don't care who they get to be the opponent. It could have been Frank Martin. It could have been, I mean, Devin Haney, that would have been a tough fight. But if it's Frank Martin, if it's, uh, you know, Jermaine Ortiz, if it's uh, De Los Santos, go on down the ratings. Uh, you know, no knock on those fighters. They're all good contenders. But Shakur's going to beat all of them. Let's be honest about that. You mentioned someone there, Devin Haney. I spoke to Eddie Hearn a couple of days ago. And I spoke about this long-awaited announcement for a Devin Haney Regis Progre, as we're all expecting Devin to to bounce up. He says the Regis Progre end of the deal has been signed. Um, I've mm -hmm. seen of San Francisco, although he didn't necessarily confirm <laughs> me. Um, what do you think the hold the hold upon Devin's end is here, considering like one end signed apparently? Well, Regis, you know, made his own announcement back on his social media. I don't know. It's got to be, is it maybe a month ago already? Something close to that, that he was ready to go. So, yeah, I don't think there's any issue on the Regis side of things. Regis is with Matchroom, signed to Matchroom, and that was part of their game plan, and he was happy with his deal. Uh, and Devin Haney, it's a little bit, it's a little more uh, tricky because he's not signed to Matchroom. My understanding that at least at one point, I don't know where it stands at this exact moment, was that you know, Devin wanted to do this as a one-off type of situation. Understandably, if you're matchroom boxing and you're put in Regis Progre, a, a champion at the 140-pound weight class that you signed to a longer-term deal, 
you don't want to just put in him to fight Devin Haney, have Haney win the fight and then walk to wherever he wants to go. You want some assurances that you're going to have at least a future fight, not even necessarily for a program rematch, just for some other event that you might do with him. So I think that might have been one of the issues. Um, you know, there's a lot of, as, as usual, uh, this being boxing today, there was a lot of premature reporting that the deal was done, that this date was set, that this location was set, that it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And, and all those things were possible, but none of it was done. I mean, remember, originally it was supposed to be, if I'm not, if I remember correct, they were thinking October the 28th Vegas. and they ran into some problems, but because, you know, rightly, my understanding was that Haney was like, well, why are we going on the same day as Tyson Fury? against Francis Ngannou, which is a pay-per-view, which is going to maybe not start at the same time because one's in America, one's in the Middle East. But in terms of the fan uh, attention and media attention and just the oxygen around the event, yours is going to be pushed to the side because no matter whether you think that Fury Ngannou is a fucking freak show, <laughs> it's still going to command more attention than Haney Program, which is a, a good fight, but it's not. it doesn't have that kind of more mainstream appeal or interest or, you know, uh, or, you know, having people just look because it's this kind of weird hybrid kind of fight. So they were smart to move that off. So, again, nothing is 100%. I've been checking in with Matchroom on a practically daily basis, and, you know, they're working on it. I mean, what the final reasons are that it hasn't been announced, obviously, uh, you know, I always uh, remember back in the day when Richard Schaefer was the CEO of Golden Boy, and I would talk to Richard on a regular basis. Uh, I remember back then they were working with all the, all, all the Al Heyman fighters, and uh, they would be working on a whole bunch of fights uh you know, Richard's great is same line. I heard, I can still hear it ringing in my ear. Dan, a, a, a done deal is a signed deal, and it's not signed, and so it's not done. It'll probably get done, though. Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, I don't, it's hard to find a reason that it wouldn't do, apart from that's a, a good point that you made there. Obviously, Matchroom having progray on their books, Devin comes along. If it's a one-fight deal, you know, if he won the belt, he'd then take it and go where he was with no guarantee for Matchroom to have him on the platform again. That is a good point. And, I, and listen, also, one other thing, there was some difference of opinion within the Haney camp about whether this fight should go on DAZN pay-per-view or on regular DAZN. So that's been a point of uh, discussion, I believe, between the sides. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's been 100% worked out. I would say this, if they're going to put put that fight on pay-per-view, that, that, um, it's a very good fight, but is it, is it, should I be paying an extra 60 bucks for it or whatever, 70 bucks for it? I mean, why do I pay... 240 a year for DAZN to get fights like that. Yeah. You know? I think it's going to be interesting to see where that lands because obviously with your subscription paid as well, <clears throat> it, it's one of them. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how many views, how many buys it would do. Although for that purist and the hardcore boxing fans, I think it's a, it's a terrific fight. Um, just quickly, Ryan, Ryan Garcia, it's been rumoured he's coming out November, December, from the UK point of view, O'Hara Davis has been linked with that fight. O'Hara Davis has signed with Golden Boy. How aware are you of um, O'Hara Davis and obviously in his standing? He was supposed to be fighting Roly Romero, but this injury seems to be prolonging that fight. Um, what do you know about O'Hara Davis from your end? Well, what I reported uh, on my Substack newsletter uh, on, on Tuesday was that, yes, Ryan is going to be back in uh, November, December, that even though he and Golden Boy are embroiled in a lawsuit, uh, they still sort of are sort of, I guess, let's use the term, they're holding their nose and working with each other. They don't love it, but they're they're doing their, they're doing what they got to do because uh, Golden Boy wants uh, Ryan to fight and do his event, and Ryan wants to fight. So uh, they are working to put together this event. I reported that that the one of the leading candidates to get that fight was going to be Pedro Campa. Uh, 
Pedro Campa is a, a fighter that has, he's got a couple of losses, but he gave Tiafimo Lopez a pretty solid fight when Tiafimo had his first fight moving up to 140 pounds. He did get stopped in the fight, but again, it was, uh, gave him a pretty good night that, a pretty good uh, fight. And then his next fight, he lost against Brandon Lee, uh, who's a good, you know, undefeated young fighter, but he also gave Brandon Lee a tough fight also. So, you know, uh, if you're Ryan Garcia, and you're fighting at 140 pounds. You're coming off of a knockout loss, and it's your first fight with a new trainer in Derek James. To me, it seems very reasonable for Campa to be that type of opponent. Uh, I don't think O'Hara Davis gets the nod only because he's in line to fight in his next fight for the title. The only way I could see that maybe uh, if you want to like thread that needle, if you will, because Romero, if he's going to be out for a little while, and he's been ordered by the WBA to give them a medical report, not sure where that stands at the moment to, to show uh, you know, why he can't be doing this mandatory fight with that's supposed to be due mm -hmm. that perhaps, and I don't have any inside information on this, but I've known the business well enough to understand how these things work. Would it be a complete and utter shock if they can, if, 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 uh, even though Campa may be on the short list, if they could somehow get it worked out and do Ryan against O'Hara Davies, if, if Romero can't go and they do that because of an injury, it becomes for an interim title. That would not be the biggest shock in the world. Now the WBA has, uh, gotten rid of their usage of interim titles. But the whole point where I where I started doing this, an interim title, when you would use it, when it made sense to use it, when it seemed okay to use it, is if you have a champion that is going to be out for a period of time because of an injury and you don't want to hold up the, the division or hold up the other boxers who are in those ratings who are due to have these title fights, then that's the reason you use an interim title. So I would be okay with that if Romero's actually injured and going to be out for a bit. But again, I don't know if they're going to go into a fight that tough uh, with Davies coming off of the kind of loss that he took against Tank Davis. Yeah, that that's what I was going to touch on. I wondered if they would employ maybe a like I can't remember who's done it last. Maybe WBC did it. Um, you'll you'll know better than I probably. But a champion in recess kind of thing, where they sit them to one side and then say, right, guys will fight, and then after that, the winner of Garcia Davis then fights Roller. Well, the WBA, to my recollection, they do not employ a champion of recess. What they would do if he can't fulfill the obligation in a timely manner, if they don't want to use an interim title, they could strip him. Now, yeah. I mean, that would be unfortunate. You never want to see a guy just get stripped for that. I mean, we went through this with the IBF when they stripped Joe Cordina because he had a hand injury. He sat out the fight. You know, his vacant title was won by Rakamov, and he came back after the injury, and he knocked uh, – he didn't knock him out, but he won a, a tremendous battle against Rakamov, and now he's moving on to his first defense coming up. Uh, you know, in November. So I don't, I'm not really sure how it's going to play with the WBA. I think they're still waiting to get answers from Romero. Uh, my suspicion is that they're going to, that Golden Boy will uh, work it out with Ryan where he's fighting, you know, whether it's camp or somebody else on that level, like a good solid professional who's going to be there to fight him, but it wouldn't be necessary for a title the way it probably would be if he was fighting Davies. Like they signed Davies knowing he was a mandatory that he was in line for a shot at the title in his next fight against Romero or whoever held the belt at that moment. So I think that's probably still the plan. But, you know, it's boxing, Matt. Things change in, like, the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a good point. Um, just picking up on something earlier that I heard, um, the much-coveted, much-talked-about Joshua Wilder fight for Saudi Arabia, you know, locked in for December, we heard numerous times. Um, and now we're hearing start of next year, and now we're hearing it's in jeopardy. With everything that seems to be going on in Saudi Arabia and everything like that, I know Eddie's alluded that they can do this fight. They're not just um, subjected to do it in the Middle East. That it can be moved to America, you know, Wembley. It seems a bit of a, a kick in the stomach when we actually have apparently two sides that are agreed to fight. 
when that well, was fall. There's a few things about that. Number one, it had been kicked from December into January a few months ago, number one. Number two, I always uh, am of the opinion, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. Like, tell me it's actually done. Tell me you've signed contracts, especially when it's sort of in this type of location. You know, give me a press conference, come out and have everybody involved speak about it publicly. Uh, show me, you know, the artwork, whatever it is. So I've always been skeptical that this would actually come to pass. I was hopeful because it did seem that finally both uh, the Joshua side and the Wilder side actually had real motivation and desire to make the fight. But I would simply say this. They wanted to go to do it in Saudi Arabia because supposedly there was this gigantic pot of gold to make the match. That may not exist anymore for this particular fight. But that doesn't mean that if Joshua and Wilder were to fight elsewhere, whether it's in the United States or in the UK or somewhere else, they can still make a huge amount of money. Now, maybe not as much as they thought they would make in uh, Saudi Arabia, but you don't have the right to make that money. Go out and hustle and earn the earn the money. Now, I can't believe that if you do, if you took Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua and you put it in in the UK, pick whatever whatever. I mean, you can maybe you probably do it in a stadium, and yeah, you know Millennium Stadium or Wembley. Certainly, you'd sell out the O2 Arena. Not an issue. Um, so I have no idea what the issue would be, why you can't do it there. In Las Vegas, that would do a big number. In New York City, that would do a big number. So they just may not be making as much money as they want to make, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, hopefully, no matter what happens, because obviously there seems to be a bit of a shift in Saudi Arabia at the minute with um, promotional companies, um, Skill Challenge, Sadiq Boxing, and all these different entities um, from from what's happening now. We're seeing it with, obviously, Fury and Garnu um, and what's happening with that. But... Hopefully, we get to see that fight because the big issue before was always money and talking to the teams, or Shelley Finkel, Eddie Hearn. But now we've passed all that. The fact that well, one thing about that fight that you should realize that unlike a normal negotiation where you know the the side for one fighter engages the other promoter in a negotiation and they go back and forth and they figure out how they're going to work things out, you know where it's going to be, what the financials are, who's going to carry it television wise, all that stuff. The situation that they were negotiating in terms of Wilder and Joshua in the Middle East, uh, again, this is from what Shelly Finkel was telling me, uh, and I think I've heard Eddie Hearn say similar things on some of his interviews, is that wasn't the situation. It wasn't, I mean, yes, they were in touch with each other, but essentially you had the Joshua Matchroom side doing a deal on their own with the Saudi group, making wow. their own arrangements, and you had the Finkel slash Wilder side doing their own deal. In other words, don't count our money, we're not counting your money, whatever you guys get, you get what we get, we get, and that, you know, don't worry about what we're getting and we won't worry about what you're getting. We'll deal individually with that company and it's up to the company to, to, to make it work. And that was how that was going. It wasn't really a negotiation so much between Wilder's camp and, and the, uh, and the Joshua camp. And so if that has changed, you know, one thing people I don't think realize is that all those possibilities of the big fights that take place in Saudi Arabia, the ones that have taken place in Saudi Arabia, they're funded by the, by the, 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 the government fund, and they basically pick the entity that they want to run that. So for a time, I guess it was Skills Challenge. For yeah. this wild, uh, for the uh, Francis Naganu Tyson Fury event, it's the, the outfit called Riyadh Season, which is the folks that put on that big annual festival in Riyadh every every year. Now I don't know if they're going to want to or are interested to promote and put on boxing events beyond the Riyadh Season festival. But it seems like uh, the Saudi folks have decided that they're going in a different direction with who they give the money to to do these big events. So again, like I've said all along, believe it when you see it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to end on this because I think it's important we mention this, um, this chat, Mike Stafford, um, sadly um, passed this week. Um, obviously 
Well, mainly Adrian, Adrian the problem, Bronner, guiding him to world titles. He also worked with Rasheed Warren, but he did a lot of work in the community, getting the kids into the gyms. Um, a terrific trainer. Just um, your thoughts on him, and you'll have had plenty of contact with him over the years. I would. Have yeah, been. I mean, Mike. Mike was a, was a, a a very a very nice guy. Like you joke around with him, like you're too nice to be in boxing. You know what I mean? It was sort of like a joke, but you made the point. Like he did work with Adrian and got him in, into the position where you know he won uh, whatever Adrian's problems, uh, no pun intended, were or have been or still are. Uh, he did win world titles in four weight classes. Uh, you mentioned he also worked with Rashi Warren who was uh, a Bantamweight champion and an Olympian, two-time Olympian. And he worked with the, a lot of these guys in the amateurs also. He trained for a period of time. Robert Easter, who won a lightweight world title, uh, you know, he trained, you know, several good fighters. He, chained, he trained Jamel Herring for a while. Jamel won a world title in the junior lightweight division. Uh, and several of those fighters are Ohio guys. Mike was a Cincinnati guy, an Ohio guy, which has a rich boxing culture. Go back to the days of like, uh, you know, uh, probably the most famous Cincinnati fighter, uh, 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 Aaron Pryor, uh, and so he sort of followed in that footsteps. But the thing, besides training the various top professionals that we just mentioned and getting them in world title opportunities and winning world titles and defending world titles, is probably Mike's greatest uh, thing he should be remembered for. Is because besides what he did as a pro, uh, dealing with those guys, is is the the amount of time and money and energy and of himself he gave back to the community in terms of working with amateur fighters. You know. Not for a lot of glory, not for a lot of pay, uh, sometimes for no pay, keeping the gyms open, making sure that the young kids that were on the street had a place to go, try to keep them out of trouble, try to give them some structure in their life, try to be a guiding a guiding force to help them uh, gain in confidence to just you know become their own people. A lot of these young uh, kids that were doing boys and girls, presumably, uh, maybe didn't have a, a parents around to, to do that, or maybe their parents were having troubles, whether it was financial or you know, didn't have a job or drug problems, or maybe he left and they were from single parent homes or in foster care, whatever the case may be, you know, the, what he did for so many kids in the local gym that he was involved with in Cincinnati helped countless kids, you know, for that important part of your life when you're young like that and stay out of trouble and have a place to go after school or to, to, to be in a safer environment than if you're just running on the streets or standing on the street corner, which can only lead to trouble. And that was something that Mike was big on is trying to do the best for the community. Um, you know, I knew Mike for a long time during the time with Broner and, and some of these other guys, always a gentleman, never heard him raise his voice. Um, not to say he, he didn't, but that was just not his sort of personality. I would, uh, I would say like he was, uh, probably pretty ferocious when he's getting his guy ready for the, for the fight, but, uh, but a kind of a gentle soul, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. A, just a good, just a good, decent human being. You know, people in boxing, a lot of people get bad raps. There's, you know, there's a lot of bad people in boxing. But you know what? There's also a lot of good people in boxing, and Mike was one of them. Yeah, he always came across well, I think, in interviews and when he was speaking, especially when I was coming up, starting to watch boxing and taking it seriously, the way he used to talk about Adrian and obviously Rasheed Warren and um, the gym and how you used to bring them into the gym. He created that environment, and I think it was important for us to mention that, especially like with yourself, you deal with him more on the state side of things. So, yeah, um, yeah, for Mike Stafford. Um, look, Dan, I appreciate your time. I think that's probably the perfect way to to wrap this one up. Um, thanks for catching up with us. And yeah, we'll, we'll catch up again soon with some big fights on the horizon. Canelo, Charlo, um, and some big fights. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.